Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Alabama AgCast. I'm William Green, Director of the Wildlife Resources Division for the Alabama Farmers Federation. This week, we'll be doing something a little bit different than our traditional ag conversations uh, and cover a deer season preview. Uh, It's also a pretty special episode as we welcome uh, our first ever in-studio guest. This week, we have Chuck Sykes, Director of the Wildlife Freshwater Fisheries Division of the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Chuck, that's a mouthful, but thanks for coming in today. It is. Absolutely. Thank you. You could just say head of the complaint department. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, I know a lot of our listeners now are thinking um, that, that a hunting season preview may be uh, a little bit different than your traditional row crop or uh, storm damage outlook. Um, but I think it's important to stay right off the bat, you know, how important the hunting industry is to Alabama. You know, it's a billion dollar industry annually, covers everything in rural Alabama that you could, you could ever want to cover. Oh, absolutely. If it wasn't for agriculture, uh, timber and, and hunting, a lot of our counties would just dry up and go away. I mean, this is the industry in a lot of those rural counties. Yeah, no, no doubt. Whether it's uh, feed and seed, equipment, um, land leases or sales, I mean, it, it really does touch a, a pretty broad group of people. It does. It does. And I'll probably screw this up today. I, I do these constantly, and this is the first podcast, radio show, TV interview, whatever, that I've ever done any research and brought <laughs> papers in because you sent me some questions and I wanted to make sure I had them right. So forgive me if I make a mistake today. No, we'll be good. Um, so I, I guess before we really start on the 2021 season, um, it might be helpful to cover last year's season. Um, as far as harvested numbers go, how, how did we do last year? We were up a little bit and I can just, again, I, I did my research for you. Um, Game check numbers in 2017-18 were about 76,000. 2018-19 were roughly 84,000. And last year was about 95,000. So, you know, we're bumping up roughly 10,000 a year on game check. Now, our we do a, a survey at the end of the year. Um, been doing that for the past 30 years. And those surveys estimated to harvest at 208,000 in 2017-18, 18 in 19, and actually almost 220,000 last year. So it, the numbers are are tracking pretty close to that. We're our harvest was up a little bit last year on game check as well as our uh, survey. So what is that? And, and forgive me, math is not my strong suit. Is that about a, a 25, 30% report rate? or It's is not it... much. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's not much. So I guess historically, it, it, do you feel like that's pretty pretty spot on? I know you said it's going up uh, about 10,000 every year. but I do. I'm, I'm fairly confident because the numbers on game check are incrementally going up just like the numbers on our end-of-the-year harvest survey, which we have a long-term data set on. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that those numbers are tracking right. And people are getting a little more comfortable with game checks, so I sure. expect it to go up a little bit. It, as far as um, uh, overall herd health goes, uh, would you say those harvest numbers um, kind of indicate a, a, a pretty healthy, positive herd, or is there anything you think we need to be killing fewer or more? I think we're in pretty good shape. I mean, our, our deer committee has done a really good job with breaking the, the state up into zones for the first time in the history of the state. You know, we started with A and B, 
Then there was a little zone up there in north central Alabama where the numbers were down, so we reduced the the harvest in that area. Now we've got the Jimmy Jimerson zone this <laughs> year, uh, zone D and E, where they can hunt early. So our, our folks have done a really good job trying to match harvest recommendations, season times and durations with the the biology of the deer and I think it's doing I think it's doing well. Uh, as far as those I guess those harvested numbers I, you said uh, 90 something thousand for reported in game check uh, how many of those are bucks versus does? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Last year we had about uh, 94,000 bucks and 118 does. So you know roughly one and a third, almost two to one, which is what I would expect. The first year I game check numbers were incredibly high on the buck side. Sure. And I think you and I talked about this back then. I don't think that was a factor of people killing more bucks. They felt it more important to game check a buck than they did a doe. Now with the more education that we've got out there, they understand that the antlerless harvest is just as important as a buck harvest. So People are just reporting more of what they kill, so I would anticipate people to kill at least twice as many, if not three times as many does as they as they do bucks. You you hit on something there too that that I, I think is important to cover. You know, a lot of the times when when people ask me about game check, they say, you know, I, why does the state need to know what we're shooting on my place? You know, my hundred acre wood in you know, Crenshaw County, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that I shoot four does and two bucks. Why are those numbers uh, important for y'all? How do y'all use those numbers? Because if you extrapolate that through the state, we're not trying to manage at 100 acre property in Crenshaw County. I agree that does us no good. But if we get information from every county, then we can look at those overall trends. Now we've got from 208 to 210 to 218, so we can look at that and say, yeah, the herd's doing okay. If you get a situation where your hunter effort, where two years ago it took you three days to kill a deer, well, this year it takes you 10, then there may be a problem. Either people are getting so sorry they can't kill one, or there's not that many out there to kill. So that's why those numbers are really important to us, and the ratios are we need to know because we may need to bump the doe harvest back up to two per day over one per day. That's that's why we need that information. We're not trying to get in that 100-acre landowner's business more than we just need to know what he kills. I, I can guarantee you he knows how many cows he's feeding. Mm -hmm. He knows how many of them are bulls or heifers. It, he knows how much seed he's planting per acre where he can forecast for next year. It's the same thing. This is a crop. We need to know what's recruiting in and what's going out where we can make good recommendations. Speaking of uh, important numbers, how were our hunter li or, yeah, hunting license going uh, this year compared to previous years? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. I did the <laughs> research this morning. Uh, we, we actually pull numbers every Monday. We have a, a lady that works for us that she gives Fred and I a report every Monday morning and the commissioner on year-to-date license sales. And this this week last year, we had sold about 65,000 
331 all-game licenses. This year, 64,494. So down just a tick, not bad. Um, and then our small game licenses were actually up a couple of thousand. Baiting licenses were less than 300 difference between last year and this year. So it's rocking along about the same. And our non-resident was roughly the same. I think there was 25 different non-resident all games last year to this year. So it's roughly, roughly the same. How do those license numbers um, correlate to funding for the department? Um, I, I know that, that several of our listeners probably are aware of, of Pittman-Roberts Act, but, but for those who aren't, do you want to kind of hit on that or uh, give a brief explanation? Yeah, we're despite what a lot of people think, their tax dollars do not go to fund the game wardens to write them a ticket. We don't receive any general tax dollars. We we are able to pay staff, provide services, buy land, buy people buying a hunting and fishing license. And then the Pittman-Robertson and Dingle-Johnson, as you mentioned, Pittman-Robertson is an excise tax that's placed on firearms, ammunition. Um, that's 11%, and it goes to the Department of Interior to hand out to the state based on the size of the state and the number of licensed hunters you have. So Alabama makes money to put services out for the public by people buying a license and people buying guns and ammunition. Where this year, guns and ammunition are through the roof. Oh, I mean, no you doubt. can't find anything. NSSF is estimating 5 million new gun owners this year. That, that is truly unbelievable. 12 million guns sold so far, and 5 million of those went to new hunters. Or, um, let me back up new gun owners, which most of them are not hunters. So let's put this in perspective. Say we had another 200,000 people in Alabama bought a gun but are not hunters. They paid into that Pittman-Robertson fund. So therefore, Alabama gets a larger allocation of it. But if we don't have un hunting license dollars, we can't get it, and that money goes somewhere else. They don't just write us a check and say, spend it wisely. We have to generate our own money. We submit basically a reimbursement form, and they'll pay us 75 cents on, well, for every dollar we spend, they'll, they'll give us $3 back. So it's a great return on your investment, but just because there's a lot of money in PR from people buying guns and ammunition, unfortunately, that doesn't mean that we're going to get it, and if we don't, then it could go to another state. Right. Um, so you kind of mentioned this uh, when I was asking you about licenses. Um, this is really the second season for uh, our, our baiting privilege for folks to be legal to hunt over bait. Mm -hmm. um, how, what's the department's view on that? How's it going? Apparently people love it. There's some that hate it, but the sale showed last year that there's a lot of people that enjoy it because we sold more baiting licenses last year than we sold hunting licenses. But that was because the legislature did not add any exemptions when they passed that legislation. So for a private landowner hunting on their own property that doesn't have to have a hunting license, if they want to hunt over feed, 
they have to have that baiting license. So we sold quite a few of them to people under 16, people over 65, and private landowners hunting on their own property. So it's not mandatory. People don't have to do it. If you're averse to baiting, you're averse to feeding, fine, don't do it. But for me, I bought it as an insurance policy because I can now hunt with friends that I mm-hmm. couldn't hunt with the first seven years I was in this job because I didn't know if they did it right. So now I don't have to worry whether the feed was 100 yards or out of sight right? or whether going to my property, whether Daddy had put out a five-gallon bucket of feed to feed the deer, one that he's never picked up a gun in 40 years, but I still had to worry about that. So now I've got that $15 license. I don't have to worry about it. It also takes a lot of your, your guesswork and pressure off your game wardens, too. I mean, if if they know now they, they check, uh, there's corn on the field, they don't have to worry if it's 100 yards away. Believe it or not, you would think that. Really? Our, our cases were down maybe 10% last year, 15%. That is surprising. I, I, I figured that people would have... Nope. Uh, spent $15 and, and gotten out of the, no, the bigger sir. ticket. Interesting. Um, every Monday, along with getting these license updates, uh, one of my assistant chiefs in law enforcement sends me a weekly report of all citations and warnings. And I just happened to be looking at it pretty closely this morning, and I kept seeing baiting, hunting over bait, hunting over bait, hunting over bait. So I sat down with my LA chief, and I said, I guess I didn't pay this close attention to it last year. He said, yes, unbelievable. People are still doing it. And I said, all right, now here's my question. Are they doing it because they don't know? Are they doing it because they don't care? They don't care. I I don't get it. People were begging to hunt over feed. The legislature passed it. Now you can, and now they're crossing their arms. Well, I shouldn't have to pay for it. Well, okay, $15 versus $500 getting a ticket. Yeah. You know, you can stand on your principles all day, but that's just stupid. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It, it really is a is an insurance policy. I, I like you. I have one. Um, you know, you never know where you're going to end up hunting that day. And if someone says, "Hey, uh, you know, it's uh, you're over my side of the state. Come over this afternoon, sit yep. in a tree." I mean, I, I would I, I would hate to get in a tree and then walk back to the truck like, "Man, I can't do it. You got corn well, around." So. Like I said, Daddy hadn't killed a deer probably in 40 years, but I'll get him to hunt with me a couple of days every year. Well, when we go sit. I've got a rifle with me in case a bunch of hogs come out, but I've also got my air gun with me because I prefer shooting it. Well, if there's two of us sitting in the house and there's two guns, guess what? He's hunting on his own property. He's 78, but I have him a baiting license. I buy him a baiting license just just because that's the sure. safest thing to do. Well, I guess moving into, you know, that was a change uh, last year, uh, moving into to this year, uh, what are some of the regulatory changes that uh, Alabama hunters need to be aware about? I, I know um, you and I have talked about the, the transfer of possession certificate, and that's that's been a, a hot topic here recently where I get calls two or three times a week about that. Yep. The sky's falling. You know, it's been that way for decades that if I kill a deer and give it to you, I'm supposed to write down all of my pertinent information where if you're stopped going down the road, you can hand it to an officer. This was just as much, especially for people that don't hunt. So I've got a friend that lives in the neighborhood that wanted some meat, but he doesn't hunt. So if I killed a deer and gave it to him and he got stopped, well, he doesn't have a hunting license. Well, how did that deer with a 270 hole get in the back of your truck? 
Well, Chuck killed it. Here's his license number. Here's all his information. That's it. So this year, the only thing that was added was your game check number and your CID. It took a bunch of your personal information out. Now, if you put your CID and your game check number, that's all we need. So it wasn't that big a deal for people to blow it way out of proportion. Yeah, really, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it's just a, another way to get folks to use game check uh, to make sure we're we're getting the most accurate information yep. to, to manage our, our herd. Yep. And another thing that, that blew me away, I saw something. I Unfortunately, I do have a Facebook account. <laughs> I don't post anything other than if it's Sid retrieving a duck or something. But I watch it, and there was one that was going around. New this year, buck only the first 10 days of bow season in Zone B. New this year, huh? New this year. And they had tagged like six legislators in it. So, of course, my commissioner's office and legal starts asking, I said, guys, look, this, I know this because this was the first year I was here. That passed in 2013. Well, why? Well, when people wanted to hunt in February, we did all the fetal studies to show that, yes, you can hunt into February, but therefore, if they're bred in February, they're going to be dropping later. So the first 10 days of the season, we're going to shift it. Well, then when we gave the whole state February, the biology still said, don't shoot those does the first 10 days because you've got a bunch of spotted fawns. Technically, they don't really need to shoot them till November, but just to keep things consistent. So nothing changed. People didn't read the regs. Then one person posted on Facebook, and it goes like wildfire. Oh, Lord, they're doing something new to us this year. No. It's been that way since 2013. And if you want to shoot a doe in Zone B, just like my property is in Zone B, I'm on the Deer Management Assistance Program. I kill one Saturday morning, opening weekend, because we've got to kill so many. I picked out a big old doe that didn't have a fawn. I was watching, and all is fine. So I I guess most people now are are, are started deer season. Uh, I, where I hunt is also in Zone B, and you know we're we're kind of in the the middle of the ten days for for both season with your buck only. Uh, we've we've been fortunate where we are. We've we've already had a couple of harvests, some some nice mature bucks. What's the general sense uh, around the state? We had a wet spring, a wet summer. The acorn tree, the crop that I've looked at, my swamp chestnuts, if they don't hurry up and start dropping, the limbs are going to start breaking. <laughs> um, I think deer are in as good a shape I know on our place as I have ever seen them. And I've seen quite a few uh, Facebook pictures and people sending me texts. There's been some nice deer taken so far. So I'm expecting it to be a good year. And a lot of people that... Uh, went to Walmart and Winn-Dixie in April and there was no meat on the shelves. I think they're going to be out there this year trying to fill their freezer. So the does better watch out this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I guess I'll end with a uh, tough one for you. What's the latest with chronic wasting disease? Well, according to all the Facebook biologists out there, chronic wasting disease disappeared when COVID hit. It's like, no, folks, just because we're not talking about it every week, that doesn't mean it disappeared. Um, we're still testing deer. We still don't have it as of me sitting in here with y'all today. We have not found it. I think we have a target of about 1550 
that we want to take this year scattered all over the state in every county. I think we tested over 1,700 last year, uh, working with processors and taxidermists and and hunting clubs and DMAP cooperators and, and picking up roadkill. Um, we're looking, and it's just not here. Thankfully, Tennessee and Mississippi looks like it's traveling northwest right now and not southeast. Yeah, yeah. So we're still looking. It didn't go anywhere just because COVID's here and everybody's talking about that. That doesn't mean that CWD just vanished. So we're still, if people see a sick deer, they can let us know. We had a couple last week that we went and got. Um, so we're still looking. The sky's not falling, just like we tried to tell everybody a couple of years ago. We're just being methodical and being prepared. Well, Chuck, we certainly appreciate you joining us today and appreciate everything you and the rest of ADCNR does for the state's wildlife resources. Uh, y'all have a tough job, and we're thankful for what y'all do every day. Um, everybody, thank y'all for tuning in to this week's AgCast. Uh, important links and other notes can be found in this episode's show notes. I hope everybody has a successful hunting season this year, and uh, I'd encourage each of you, uh, if you're hunting in a tree stand, please wear your harness. It's important to stay safe. Uh, we'll see y'all next time. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. I'm Matthew Durden, Director of External Affairs of the Alabama Farmers Federation. I'm here to tell you a little bit about the Alabama Rural Economic Center, or as what we call it here, the Farm Center. In 2018, we announced a site in Chilton County, Alabama, Clanton, the center of the state, home of the Big Peach. We, we named the location, it's a 500-acre farm located just on the east side of I-65 behind the rest stop if you're headed north. We chose this location because we had a study done that showed us that we were within 60-minute drive of 1.2 million people. We wanted this because we, we look to have a multifunction event facility that can accommodate a variety of uses to support both agriculture and tourism industries of Alabama. The physical components of this proposed facility are intended to accommodate livestock shows, horse shows, small animal shows, spectator events, trade shows, educational conferences, RV rallies, and an annual fair. As we just wrapped up the annual fair here in Montgomery, the Alabama State Fair, we look to have a new air, a new fair, one that can bring in as many 500,000 people through the gates. Our facility is also being compared to the Georgia National Fairgrounds and Ag Center, located in Perry, Georgia. It's a state-of-the-art facility. We hope to accommodate this and feature ours as well. We look to have draw national shows coming in to Alabama, which would boost our tourism industry. For more information and updates, keep an eye on our social media outlets or visit our website at alphafarmers.org. Thank you for joining us for Alabama AgCast. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast. AgCast.